Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi there. I want to talk to you about Doug. No, you're okay. This one, real fucking up. Okay, this is not now. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey, Walter, come on. Oh, you're from the neighborhood. Your name? It's your name, neighbor. Well, that's not entirely true. I came to see you, but where are the paperweights? That's what I want to see now. It's just torture and murder. No platinum characters. Very, very realistic. I think it's what's next. Am I hallucinating here? Just what in the hell do you think you're doing? Learning about Cuba. What? Toast to toast, my friends, to our health and cheer and happiness. Otto, let the ritual begin. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. Before we start this episode, I just want to make a quick note that we are covering a John Waters movie, which means that we are going to be covering some material that listeners might consider crass, or I think crass, lewd, potentially offensive This is a John Waters movie, so if you're familiar with John Waters, then you're not going to be shocked in the very least. If you're not familiar with John Waters, you're probably not listening to this, so I'm just going to stop right there. Uh, My name is Chris. I am your host, joined as ever by my co-host, Andrew. Hello. Who's having a a rough day, so we're going to try to cheer him up with some good old talk about John Waters. (laughs) And so we are covering my personal favorite John Waters movie, what I consider to be the perfect John Waters movie, and that is, of course, 1974's Female Trouble. Mm-hmm. I can I I pretty much it's pretty much my favorite too. It's always has been. It was written, produced, shot, and directed by John Waters. It was edited by John Waters and Charles Rogero. The music was done by John Waters and Bob Harvey. The movie was filmed. The movie was shot for $25,000. It was shot over the course of five months. But in those five months, only about 20 days of filming was done. This was due to budgetary constraints, casting, and also the dual role of Divine having to portray both a man and a woman and them not using any sort of makeup or bald caps or wigs. Well, there are wigs. And makeup? What are you talking about? No, I meant as far as... um, Him being a dude instead of a chick? Yes. He's wearing a wig at one point as a dude? No, as as the woman. But for all the scenes... That he portrays uh, the male part of... He had to... um, He shaved his entire body. Head to toe. Including his hair. And that was part part of the reason why it took so long to shoot. Also just... What? How long does it... Alright, okay, go on. Well, he had to grow... You know, he had to grow out some of his hair. And I'm just just going by what I... What I heard on the commentary is that... In five months of shooting, they only really did 20 days of filming? Yes, that's according to an interview that I watched with uh, John Waters and Divine. But I, I, I don't know... So one of the things to bring up is the fact that while... A lot of people seem to think that 
these people must be drunk and high doing these movies that no no they might have <laughs> no, no, been no, conceived no. under the influence um but you would be uh pleasantly surprised to know that there you know none of this none of this is uh improvised none of this was just oh my gosh let's get drunk and high and make a movie this is all no, meticul- very, very meticulously serious. planned it is it is and, and the actors had to like know every word of what they were saying on in the script they couldn't deviate at all or skip anything or ad lib no it's, no it, it, this is a very serious enterprise <laughs> so yeah but while i say that you know the five months 20 days filming this was from an interview that I saw that was shot at Andy Warhol's factory in 1974, 75. And some of the things that are said about the movie are, are interesting. And I don't know if that's because they were under the influence while doing this particular interview. Who was it? It was at Andy Warhol's factory, huh? Yeah, it was an art, uh, a movie critic interviewing John Waters, Divine, Mink Stoll, and hold on, da, 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 David Lockery. Who's that? Uh, Donald Dasher. So before we we before I talk about that interview, let's just quickly run down some of the main cast here. Uh, Don Davenport is portrayed by Divine. Earl Peterson, also played by Divine. Donald Dasher is David Lockery. His wife, Donna Dasher, portrayed by Mary Vivian Pierce. Taffy Davenport, the daughter, the adult version of Taffy Davenport, was portrayed by Mick Stoll. Aunt Ida is Edith Massey. Conchetta was portrayed by Cookie Mueller. Chicklet was portrayed by Susan Walsh. And the last person we'll mention um, by name, we'll get into some of the other people, is uh, Gator, who's portrayed by Michael Potter. Now, we'll get to Michael Potter in a second, but I just wanted to talk about the interview. One of the reasons why I question the sobriety of the individuals involved during the interview is that they they twice refer to the scene of divine having sex with herself she she portrays dawn davenport having sex with uh, earl earl um they used a body double but she portrayed both scenes is that Twice they refer to it as a rape scene, which it clearly isn't. So, is it? Is it not? No, it's very, it's very consensual, and then it gets downright erotic when he goes down on her. Um, it's very, and, and she leads him to the mattress in the dump. It's not like he's. Forcing herself. And even in the commentary, they never refer to it as a rape scene, but that's just my personal, my questioning. But that this was the interview where they brought up that they were shot over five months and they only did about 20 days of filming. And, you know, okay. their substance use outside of when they're making a movie 
is uh, kind of notorious. Uh, pretty much everyone involved. Uh, some of some of the people have died because of drug related issues. That being said, let's just get into female trouble and why it's so brilliant. We basically have a very dark, raunchy at times comedy, which is usual for for John Waters. But this this is also one of the most I don't know if prolific's the right word, but it's one of the most scathing satires of media and how we glamorize violence done by uh Mr. Waters. I mean, was that his intent? No, it wasn't. This is your this is your this is your observation. This is that's my observation because also in that interview that I was I was talking about, he he mentions that he he just makes and I'm going to quote him. He makes movies to entertain the audience and to show them something new. And he talks about he kind of gets uh, he talks about how uh, pretentious it seems sometimes when filmmakers try to say that their movie has a certain meaning and all that kind of stuff. So it, this is um this is coming from 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 John himself that he basically he makes movies to entertain his audience and that's basically his goal. That's what he sees himself as a, a when he makes movies is what he um, what think, he's aiming I, for. I think he once said that if he couldn't make movies, he'd be a criminal. I think he said that once. Yeah, he also said that. I, I he also said that he would like to have been a defense lawyer. Oh right, 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 right. <laughs> but he would only like to defend the worst of the worst. So he was um, some of the people that were highlighted by John Waters and the rest of the cast were the sets done by Vincent Peranio and the costumes and makeup by Van Smith. I I absolutely love all the costumes that are designed in this movie. They are <laughs> So, yeah. Um he mentions he mentions Douglas Sirk as an ins- inspiration. Uh and I I'm familiar and he also mentions Imitation of Life, which is Alana Turner vehicle. It was actually a remake of a Claudette Colbert movie, a black and white Claudette Colbert movie. Um, but when Douglas Sirk remade it in the, I guess the nineteen fifties, he turned it into. Whoa, sorry. He turned it into this Technicolor um, extravaganza, basically, which with with incredible visuals, the art direction, the costumes, and all of that. So I see a lot of this influence in Female Trouble. Um, the colors. The color schemes, the set direction, the costumes, Divine's makeup and hair especially is like you can turn the volume off and just look at it. It's it's beautiful to look at, like really beautiful. I mean, we're and we're talking about I know Baltimore. I know Baltimore and I know I'm pretty familiar with with the people of Baltimore. I I used to date someone who lived there. So um, the I know that. there's how shall I put this a work a very colorful working class scene uh, in Baltimore and this is kind of what John Waters exploits especially in female trouble uh, that being said he gives it in female trouble such a 
an even more vibrantly uh, colorful uh, look, you know, to kind of inhabit. The apartment that she that Don Davenport lives in is done up in such a way that I mean, it looks like it looks like Pee Wee's Playhouse. It does, of, right? Yeah, yeah. She, the the use of color, especially, is just, I mean, it reminds me of also of like a Pedro Almodovar movie, just the way that it's it's set, set up pretty meticulously. Um, so that's one of the main things that I really, really notice is just the production values that he's able to instill on a very small budget in, you know, in this. I guess he filmed it in one of these apartments, you know, uh, on that street in Baltimore. So, yes, the set of Don Davenport's apartment was an empty loft above the Divine Thrift Shop, uh, the, 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 the clothing store where his dream, it, it's... His Dreamland production crew basically hung out. Who divines or John Waters? What do you mean divine th- thrift shop? That was the name of the store. And it d- did divine didn't own no, it. No, 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 no. It was just called that. Yeah. <laughs> it was owned, I believe, by Pat Moran. It was owned by somebody yeah. involved in the movie. Yeah. Um, okay. But it was like a thrift shop where where they all hung out, and and John Waters bestowed the name divine upon um he 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 gave nicknames to a lot of his um his 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 kind of it's a it's a they're all films but i see it as a theater group yeah i see it as a theater group yeah and especially something like female trouble i think you commented when we were watching the movie it could almost be a, a a play yes we only have a couple couple different sets we have um, Don Davenport's apartment, which was a, a, an empty loft above the um, the store. Uh, above the store, the the Dashers' apartment is actually John Waters' actual apartment at the time. Okay, just remade, and he actually commented on the um, the apartment. He goes, "A lot of this stuff is mine," but he made notice. I, and I think I mentioned to you when we were watching it. Is that a picture of the Taj Mahal in the background? He goes. I don't know where that painting came from. It wasn't mine, but they put it up and I liked it, so I kept it in the movie. Well, they're supposed to be kind of like new agey, not that the Taj Mahal has anything to do with that, but it seems to be their little like, you know, nod towards, you know, creating kind of a little ashram for themselves. And right. I'm talking about the Dashers. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um it's very much a bubble movie. Everything exists in this in this bubble. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a fun little bubble. Oh, it's a vi- although although you know I do need to say like these characters, these characters are desperate. <laughs> like like there's a real desperation that underlies what goes on in Female Trouble that I didn't really clue into until I watched it this last time, and it's done in such a way where these people are very um, I don't know sprightly for lack of a better word. They're very uh, idiosyncratic and quirky and fun. Um, but underneath it all, there's just, yeah, there's, they're really, they're, they're grasping at straws to try and figure out what to do with their lives, especially Divine's character. She's really trying to have a life. <laughs> really trying. Now, this movie was written explicitly as a vehicle for Divine. Uh-huh. And, and it's a wonderful vehicle for her, for him. 
I think yes. he, he prefers to be he, called him. Actually, in one of the, the interview that I was talking about, the um at the factory, the Andy Warhol interview, um, he likes Shin. He Oh my god. <laughs> he he does not before all the pronouns stuff. Yeah, this he was wanted before, to be called Shim. Yes. He preferred Shim because the, I'm the, not doing that. The interview well, the interviewer asked, uh, you know, are you a transvestite? And he goes, No. And he goes, well, well, what do you prefer? And he goes, yeah, to she, him. And I, I know that John Waters has talked about, the, you know, divine. Okay. It's just it's just like he he was never, he never had the. Um, the she thing. Yeah, the transgender thing kind of going on. So um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say him because John, even John pr- right. refers to him as I, him. I, I think uh, even just throwing out he or she, just divine, I think just just exemplifies this this person like the yeah. word is perfect yeah but i think it's unfortunate that a lot of the people not completely familiar with john waters every like everything with john waters and divine a lot of people kind of get hung up on a couple of the infamous scenes from pink flamingos and that's kind of it okay I, and i think that's kind of like every, every, the notorious scene for Pink Flamingos is it's almost this it's almost that it's become bigger than the movie itself is the fact that Divine eats dog do- shit. Dog shit. Right, right, right. And it's real dog shit that right. she, that he ate on right. on it, it almost seems that people that haven't even seen the movie are they know the scene. Well, I mean, or, you know, the scene's in there for a shock value. So I mean, you get what you ask for right something like that and i i think even if you haven't seen the movie like you kind of know the cover art divine in this red gown pointing a gun mm-hmm. what the one of the plastic flamingos on the side mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he knew that he could never top pink flamingos and it's worth noting that female trouble was the direct was was the next movie for john waters and divine and wasn't wasn't um, wasn't a commercial success initially. No, it was over the years that it became uh, what is known as a classic movie, a classic John Waters movie. Uh, it still is my favorite. I saw okay, so I saw I saw Female Trouble for the first time at the Eighth Street Playhouse in New York City, where the Rocky Horror phenomenon um, started. Um, uh, it was it was a midnight showing. It was a midnight double feature, actually, of Female Trouble and Myra Breckenridge, which we will do at some point. <laughs> yeah. So it was my first time seeing both of those movies, um, and it was it was a great double feature. But it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun to see female both of those movies, but especially Female Trouble on the big screen for the first time. Um, yeah, I just remember, and I just remember that scene where Divine is is doing. Uh, his nightclub act and jumping on on the trampoline. Oh, did we all hoot and holler over that? That's just so brilliant. <laughs> so it is, brilliant. It is so brilliant. Yeah, and, and then getting into that like that. What is it that like that crib with the fish, and then just smear, smearing the fish all over his body? Right. It's just yeah. It's it, it's it's awesome. So I actually this was not one of the first. John Waters movies that I ever saw. I saw this later into my okay. Like I, I became. I went through this period where I became like 
obsessed with John Waters. Uh-huh. And I had to see everything that he did. Yes. The point where I owned a copy of um, Polyester with the with the scratch and sniff cards. You had the scratch and sniff cards. And you, I, do you still have that? No, I, oh. it's been lost. Collector's um, item. No, it's actually now available. Um, if you get the, the version of Polyester through Criterion, they do have, I mean, they're not the original cards. They've been remade. But they do have the scratch and snip. With like, there's a there's a poop one, isn't there? The, yeah, there's yeah. um, there's so some interesting. So they got all that now, huh? Yeah. Okay. But um, yeah. So this was kind of uh, I I think the first John Waters movie that I ever saw was Serial Mom, and that was just because I was at the right age when that came out. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, it was one of those things I like on the peripheral. I knew of Pink Flamingos. It had this um. This notoriety, even though I hadn't seen it, mm-hmm. it was one of those movies. And then once people talked about it, I I, I had to see it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and since then, I've seen pretty much everything that he's done, with the exception of some of his very earlier movies. Um, Eat your makeup. I haven't seen. Okay. Um, You've seen multiple maniacs. You've I had have multiple maniacs. I haven't seen that. So, yeah. to me, female trouble is the perfect John Waters movie is because it has the the early kind of raunchy kind of shock value humor of something like Multiple Maniacs or Pink Flamingos, but it's structured and written better than those earlier movies and serves as a bridge into kind of mainstream John Waters what, movie. Female, you, female Trouble? I think, is, think a bridge, so? is a bridge between the two. Okay. And I think it's perfect because for someone I personally don't particularly care for musicals. Um, so something like Hairspray and Cry Baby, I, I, I like, but I would put them on lower tier levels. Because they're musicals? Well... Because they're musicals and also just because of the the movies as a okay. whole. Okay. I mean, I would consider Hairspray to be his bridge into mainstream. Not even Polyester. I would... Maybe, maybe Polyester. Uh, but I would consider Hairspray to be the one... Because Hairspray was the one where people... You know what? Maybe it's just because my age at the time. I was a teenager when Hairspray came out. And, like, we all... Those of us, those of us that knew about John Waters, and those of us that didn't know about John Waters, knew about Hairspray. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that's and then after Hairspray, then it was Crybaby, which he had to reshoot um, the ending of, I believe, uh, where she sings him out of jail, and that's the first movie without without Divine. I guess Divine passed away between Hairspray and Crybaby. I believe so. Yeah. So, I mean, um, after Hairspray, it was just a whole different ballgame for John Waters. But anyway, so let's get back to Female Trouble. Um, Go on. So, this is the first instance of John Waters contributing to the music of one of his movies is which is why I say it's a maybe it's not the bridge but it's like the pre-bridge maybe it's the toll booth before you get to the bridge okay um into mainstream John Waters they had this um 
this the female trouble theme song is it's just, awesome. It's phenomenal. It's great. It's so great. And, and I, he, so he wrote the lyrics to that. He wrote the lyrics. Divine sang it, and it was actually Divine sings it. Yes. Okay, I didn't know that was Divine on, yep. the, on the soundtrack. All right. And it's actually it was already a song with lyrics, but they worked something out with the um, with the composer, and they were able just to purchase the music and then write their own lyrics oh. to it. I wonder what the original song was. I. Okay. I have it written down. I'll tell you after the podcast, okay. <laughs> and maybe if I if I feel uh, up to it, I'll edit it in right now. Okay. What the what the song is called? Own the song. I think it was called Black Velvet Soul, and he got what he called just the music without the words, and we made a deal together to do the song. To me, it's just it's pitch perfect. Like it's everything that I like about John Waters is in this movie. Mm-hmm. It has it's got filthy humor but the story is compelling the just the whole atmosphere of this movie it is yeah. so much yeah. fun this, it feels like like if i want if i jumped into a john waters movie like this is kind of like what i i feel like it it's got everything yeah we have we have um a scene in high school which he he does a lot we have uh Trouble with the parents, trouble with the authority figures. We have these over-the-top characters. We have quotable dialogue. We have random acts of violence that are, like, are, like... And the violence is ha- handled in such a way where it's like a comic book. It really is. He's like, a- it's, it's hard for you to really be uh, disturbed by it, even though it is, even though it is disturbing. If you really like ponder it for half a second, sure. It's kind of like, what? She, she just chopped off her hand. Right. She just threw acid in her face. What? I mean, it's, you know, it's like those, it's like a woman's prison film. But, you know? and, but we do get a women's prison. We film. do get a women's that's prison why, film toward that's at the end. That's what I'm saying. Why it's perfect. Like yeah, we yeah. have, you have a courtroom drama. Yeah. You have, yeah, not political satire, but you have like satire of the media, and and John Waters. One of the things that he talks about is like his obsession with um, trials and criminals, and how the media. Like he makes a joke that like the easiest way to become famous in America is murder someone well, yeah. or murder a bunch of people, and you're going to end up yeah. all over the news, right? Like, what's that tagline for Chicago, the movie, if you can't be famous, be infamous? Right. I mean, it applies completely to this to this movie. And I feel like I feel like Female Trouble could be a musical like it could it could happen. These characters could burst into song. That's the level of reality or hyper reality that it, it, it exists on. Right. Um, yeah. Now, I also want to say just Divine's performance in this is so good really really good and the 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 parts where divine goes you know starts getting crazy divine is like i don't know what they're giving i don't know what they're giving him they call it liquid eyeliner Mm -hmm. it's probably speed it's probably speed so they're giving him speed and the way he acts all of that is 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 right on. It's he, just it's just so it's, it's he strikes every yeah. glamour pose in like a matter of seconds. I know, I know, and I they're know. so pitch perfect. I every know. single one is on point. I know, and he 
He yeah. just got. I mean, it's it's really professional. I, I had a roommate once who worked in the uh, makeup industry and brought home, this was in the 90s, brought home um, uh, a composite, one of those composite shots of Naomi Campbell doing different different poses. And it was like every single pose was worthy of, you know, of being published. Like that's a real, that's a really professional model who's at work there. Divine does it too. Divine knows how to like hit those marks, hit those marks, hit those marks. Like really hard work coming from this individual. And I also, in the, in that, there's also that outtake of Divine as a dude with Mink Stoll um, when he pukes and he's trying to get himself to puke, trying to get himself to, <laughs> trying to get himself to puke. And he's so invested. Like it's just, he, this is a real, this is a real pro. Like well, going to, going to work here. I actually wanted to, to yeah. m- mention a couple things and you, you happen to bring up that, that outtake. Um, okay. I, and I, I want to talk about Divine's performance. But yeah. I, I, I just want to say... Yeah, go ahead. So he was... So both him and and John Waters were adamant about having real puke in that scene. <laughs> to the point where they had a nurse on set they, that gave him a, an entire bottle of Ipecac. Now, if you don't know what Ipecac is, <laughs> it is to induce vomiting. <laughs> it's... It's something that they'll give to you. I mean, you could is go... That, okay, because he's drinking one thing after another after another in that outtake. In that outtake. Yeah. And he couldn't do it. Yeah. We're, and we're talking about someone that that followed a dog around, waiting for it to poop previously in Pink Flamingos, and doing that with no problem. And John Waters, he just says... I don't know what it was about Divine, but he was just puke shy. He could not do it. So yeah. the vomit we actually see in the movie is not real vomit. Oh, really? It's not. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Well, he tried. He did. He gave it his all. <laughs> and if you watch the outtakes, you see. And, He's and, trying. And John He's Waters his says, hand down his throat. And that's the thing. On the commentary, John Waters talks about it. He goes, he was sticking his fingers down his throat. He just couldn't do it. Yeah. And... The 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 scene where he shot up with liquid eyeliner, he was actually shot up, and, and John Waters isn't sure exactly what they shot him up with, but it was something safe, and there was an that was the other day that the nurse was on set, but he talks about divine. He wrote this as like a, a love letter to Divine. Yeah. Not that not that they had any romantic love, but just he saw something in this individual, and he wanted to showcase everything. And Divine embraced everything that John Waters threw at him. Mm-hmm. He they took they got him special lessons for the trampoline scene at the YMCA. A very nice man sh- showed him because he had to do Well this. he still couldn't do the backflip or well, whatever. Well he couldn't land on his feet, but he, he was able to do you gotta figure <laughs> Divine is not a small individual either. Yeah. It's just the fact that he actually he didn't complete the flip, but he you know, he he completed seventy five percent of it. He just yeah. happened to land on his back. But even John Waters said he very easily could have like hurt himself seriously on a tr- as someone that grew up with a trampoline. He used to have friends on the trampoline. And, like, we used to do stupid stuff on there. I remember we had an instant where somebody flipped and fell on his head. And his instant reaction to me was, oh, my God, I'm paralyzed. My neck is broken. Oh, Oh my God, I'm paralyzed. My neck is broken. Oh, boy. And me and my friends, 
our response to him was laughing, and thankfully he's fine. He mm-hmm. had no issues. I mm-hmm. think they call it a stinger. Okay. Where you just, like, for an instant, you're, like, I guess it happens a lot in uh, wrestling and boxing or UFC. Like, you, you, you get hit. It, they call it a stinger because, like, you think you're paralyzed, but it's just like your nerves just mm-hmm. instantly going boop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he took, so he does, he took trampoline lessons, and then I had to commend him. So this was, sh- there is a scene where he jumps into the river. Now, f- mind you, this was November. It was sleeting in Baltimore. He jumps into a river, and one take swims across fighting the current fighting the current not to get swept under and he said john water said and he made the mark of where exactly he was supposed to come out of the river yeah didn't lose his wig yeah he like this performance say what you will about some of the i know some of the people who will be acting in a john waters movie i'm like put that aside and just like you said you can watch this without sound and just the physical acting by Divine is mm-hmm. just amazing. Mm-hmm. The looks mm-hmm. that she gives, the facial acting, the, like the slapstick humor. Mm-hmm. And then there are there are really there are really subtle, subtle, subtle moments that are um, beautifully nuanced when Divine is giving. There's one that Divine get a monologue that Divine gives on the stairs of 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 Don Davenport's house that's very touching, very simple, very um very low key, and it's those low key moments. And then when when Divine is like waiting tables in a diner at one point, just very subtle but very effective anyway, um, and just moments of I I saw I saw Divine as. Uh, I saw I saw elements of Divine's personality that I hadn't really noticed before. The quieter aspects of it, which which are there in in Female Trouble, there are moments that are very very quiet and very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, lucid. That's a good that's a good word. Um, very lucid moments. Because there are there are scenes that are ridiculous and over the top. Right. You said, but there's also these very. Ponderous, almost. Right. Kind of, I mean, that that monologue on the stairs especially, just kind of reflective. Oh, <laughs> and I can't remember what, what Divine is actually saying, what Don Davenport is actually saying, but it's kind of just like, it's beautifully written, really beautifully written, and something to do with, you know, oh, woe is me. I only, you know, try to to do what I can in this life and sometimes it's just not enough. I don't know if I'm even getting close to what what she actually says there. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Basically, another reason why I love this movie is that this this character of Dawn Davenport is kind of like, it's like a grotesque Kardashian that just wants to be famous for no for no particular reason other than she just wants to be famous. She doesn't have any particular skill. She's not particularly beautiful, so to speak, in the in a conventional sense. But she just she wants nothing more than she wants to be famous. She wants to be notorious. Does she? I mean, does she really? Or is that something the Dashers kind of put on her? I I mean, she definitely says yes when they when they offer her. You know. 
um, you know, exposure and in publicity and and fame. I mean, she's not she's not shying away from that at all. But I mean, is that really her original intent? I don't know if it's her original intent, but by the end of the movie, we see that that's all that consumes her. She wants yeah, nothing more it, than that. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of that is that liquid eyeliner that they're giving her. A lot sure, of it is the drugs. But it's because of, you know, what she became because of this. I almost see it like e-entertainment television going to one of the Kardashians and saying, do you want to be famous? And the Dash is coming to to Divine and being like, we want you to be famous. Well, I mean, maybe, I mean, and maybe, I mean, I, <laughs> maybe if, you know, E-Entertainment was just like, we're going to get you really fucked up on drugs and, and make you famous, I mean, which which I could see, e, 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 I shouldn't say this, <laughs> but I mean, no. that's kind of, that's, that's kind of what the Dashers the, represent. The Dashers pretty much represent, uh, let's say the Dashers represent an entertainment industry mm-hmm. that's fueled on drugs <laughs> and gives drugs to the subject at hand to kind of um, enhance what they want out of that individual. This was kind of, you know, the, we were doing... We yeah. yeah, we were talking about, you know, with Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, we were talking about Valley of the Dolls and how Judy Garland quit Valley of the Dolls when she found out that the Patty Duke character was based on her. And it's... And, I mean, that that's the Judy Garland whole saga, you know, is is infamous for uh, the industry give getting her hopped up on drugs basically on speed yeah getting in downers to to come down off the speed but speed to create you know the performance that they wanted out of her well and you can see it you can see it in her movies so this is very very similar to what the Dashers do to Don Davenport yes and I I want to clarify now that in hindsight. Scratches the Kardashians, if anyone has seen the Anna Nicole show from E! Entertainment when that was on. That poor girl. Yes, that poor woman. But oh. it kind of that reminds me yeah. of what happened with... D- yeah. So they fuel her with drugs, they take her picture, they encourage yeah. horrible behavior from her. <laughs> and there, there's one part where they're just it's, like going through the photographs of like... Don De- because they want to photograph Don doing crime. Crime, so crime, is, beauty. crime, crime is, is beauty. Crime is beauty. Crime is beauty. Crime is beauty. Right. So they have these pictures of Don Davenport doing criminal acts, and they're just like la- They're sitting. The Dashers are sitting in their bedroom, I think, and they're just yes. laughing, and they're just like, "I'll bet the." Cops would love to get their hands on these yes. pictures, you know. And then I guess eventually they do end up turning in those pictures to oh, the police. They flip, to, they flip on a dime. Yeah, they totally do. They totally do. They become Just, completely hypocritical. Completely, uh, they testify against they her test, in court. Yep, yeah. they testify against her in court. There's money being passed around. Yep. So that uh, Don Davenport will go down in flames, and she does literally go down in flames in the electric chair. Yeah. So, I, it to me, it's just, that's why I, I mentioned prolific, and I guess it is because it kind of just shows how we become obsessed with trying to be larger in life, and especially in it. It's like this movie was social media before there was social media. Uh, nowadays, uh, Don Davenport would be all over TikTok or on YouTube, but here she's she's working with the environment of the 70s so she's working with people that are saying that they're going to make her famous with these pictures people that are saying we're going to make you famous with this nightclub show 
we're working with that sort of environment. That's why I, I think it like it shows we see people every day. If you go on YouTube, you'll see people making an ass of themselves or committing crimes. People I've you, you see it all the time on social media, people accidentally filming themselves doing something illegal that maybe they didn't even know was illegal and then getting busted for. But we have this whole kind of just this larger-than-life kind of persona that we see ourselves in, and then we have somebody like the Dashers come and kind of give us that little push, and then all of a sudden we kind of we kind of shed some of our inhibitions and we're willing to do just about anything, like shooting up liquid eyeliner. I mean, I can relate to this to a certain extent. I was actually one of the finalists for the very first Real World on MTV. Um, and my whole life is almost could have been stuff. So this is one of my almosts was I, you know, I almost was on the first real world. And I remember thinking, okay, well, I'll just, you know, my life is an open book. That's Madonna's Truth or Dare had come out at that time. And I was just like, I want to expose myself to the whole world. It's a stupid idea. (laughs) (laughs) And the only thing I can say is that I was young and dumb and probably desperate in my own way. Uh, So once again, we're dealing with this kind of desperate desperation for attention. That's that's what it all kind of boils down to when I um, for some for some reason, um, it, it was because of a project I was working on. It was not by my own accord. I did follow Kim Kardashian on Instagram for about five minutes, and it 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 really kind of blew me away that this girl like woke up at like four or five in the morning and basically you know oh shit following Kim Kardashian. So I was following Kim Kardashian. She woke she like I would I was like this woman wakes up at like four in the morning, goes to the gym, and then has like you know three or four or five or six photo shoots throughout the day. It's like one after another after another. And it's and it's hard work. I could tell that it was hard work. But it was still, you're just, you're, I mean, it's hard work and I'm not really knocking the hard work aspect of it, but it's still, you're getting your picture taken. You're getting your picture taken. You're getting your picture taken. You, 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 you know what I mean? It's, it just becomes all about you and the image that you're putting forth. So, um... It's addicting. It is. And it I, is, and we see that here. With Dawn gets a taste of it, and that's like that yeah. consumes her life. Yeah, like there's one, there's a point where the Dashers want to just kind of talk to her about something, and she's like, "Where's the camera? <laughs> Why don't you have the camera on? Turn the camera on." And that's all she's living for. Yes. Yeah. Even to the to the the point where she gets acid thrown in her face, and. And as long as everybody says she pretty, 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 yeah. As long as everyone agrees that she looks beautiful, the you know all 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 um, you know scarred, basically scarred and mangled. She's she's like okay, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with looking this way. If this is what's going to get me the attention and get me the pictures, absolutely, yeah. That she insists that they have a camera there when they're, they're taking the bandages off. Right, right. She's, it's, she's like totally wrapped up in those bandages. It's, yeah. Well, she's so wrapped up in herself yeah, at that point. Yeah, it is. It's like a metaphor. It is. Uh-huh. And this unwrapping of her, she becomes this... Uh, she becomes an even bigger icon in this 
in this little world that we have here. Yeah, yeah. I I I also remember once um, knowing a drag queen, and when when he was getting into his outfit and becoming a she, becoming the the persona that he became when he was in drag. I remember saying, "Oh, you look beautiful," and and his response was, "I'm a creature." <laughs> That was right from his lips. I was like, okay, and I got it. You know, I was like, okay, I think I'm, I think I get this now. Right. You know what and you're doing and why you're doing it, type of thing. It becomes, it becomes there, the in my opinion, the best drag queens elevated to performance art, um, and that is definitely what Divine does with uh, what with what Divine does. It and becomes performance art. It 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 does mm-hmm. and. John Waters talks about how he saw Divine as a god, the Godzilla of drag queens. Well, you de- and you see that in Female Trouble, especially by the end when, when, um, when Don Davenport now has basically a mohawk and is so like revved up on that liquid eyeliner. It's just everything becomes really bass and guttural. Rawr! I mean, she's basically growling at this point. This is at the end of the movie. This is by the right. end, by the end. Like everything's been working its way up to that point, um, but by the end, she's she's um, she's she's a beast. She is, <laughs> and it's very interesting because they wanted to harken back. There was there's a scene in Pink Flamingos where where Divine's walking down the street and everyone reacts to her like yep. horrified by her. But in Female Trouble, she's she's like f- like dancing. She, it's like yeah. a walk dance. It's Fabulous! It's it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It's it was it was all guerrilla filmmaking. Yeah. you know these are real people s- sitting there. Yeah, and on the commentary, he, uh, John Waters, he goes, I don't. Nobody seemed to react to her because of. I think it was because of the scars. They thought she was handicapped. So they were being polite. They were being and, polite, and you can see that they're not really in shock or horrified. Um, they're kind of they're. they're you know how it is. Yeah, <laughs> like you, when you see someone, and it's kind of like, oh dear, and you just you just kind of like sit and be polite and smile. Yeah, you don't think there's anyone behind the wheel, so you just kind of like you sit there and go, okay, yeah, yeah. you do your thing. Yeah, you're not bothering or hurting me, so right, right. you seem to be just having. You seem to be off in your own world, but you're not you're not hurting anybody. So do you, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's so brilliant. And again. I love John Waters movies. Regardless of what you say, they all have amazing music. Oh he, yeah, he well, always he says he talks about. He's like he's like I don't understand why filmmakers use these songs that everybody knows. Like you know, there's so much talent out there, so much independent, so many independent bands, so many independent musicians. You know, get a friend or two or three to like contribute to your soundtrack and get some original stuff. And not only yeah, so I love the female trouble song, but I also love that song when Devon. Uh, uh, Don Davenport's going down the street. I think it's like the Dig It song. It's like D I G something <laughs> yes, like. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. So good. It's so <laughs> yeah. good. It's perfect for that too. And yeah. I know people. He just has impeccable taste when it comes to like picking music for his movies. Mm-hmm. He picks these songs, mm-hmm. like. I. He just he just has like, I don't know he. 
he knows exactly what he's doing. And I think that from an outsider point of view, like if I showed my parents a John Waters movie, they would say, this man's out of his mind. He does, like, he just lets whatever happened happen. But it's so, like, it's so meticulously planned. I mean, this is why I call it cinema. I mean, I think Female Trouble is real cinema because it's, it's, it's putting onto celluloid, celluloid, celluloid. It's putting onto celluloid back when they were still using celluloid. Mm-hmm. Um, vision that is, I want to say, all encompassing. I mean, it's got it's got the heights, you know, of like you know a Douglas Sirk movie, and then it's got the lows of um, a grindhouse pornography flick. <laughs> I mean, that's you're covering. A lot of ground there, and every a lot in between as well. And this movie is punk. Yeah, this it movie is. is punk. It is. It's a punk movie. Uh huh. And like, just just the way that the movie was made is very punk, do-it-yourself kind of uh-huh. roots. But then we have, I probably one of the first on-screen depictions of a mohawk. I mean, you gotta figure this is nineteen seventy four. Uh-huh. Punk punk was, you know, it wasn't in the mainstream though. Like and Divine's got this she's got a she's got the Mohawk at the end. I know. And it's it's amazing. I know and it looks really good. That's the thing. It looks like Well, the, it's real. That Right, right. But it's it's a it's a great style. Like the hair the the hairstyle that they, that accompanies the mohawk is kick-ass. Well, we got, we got makeup a, a burn-scarred face yeah. and a mohawk. Yeah. You, can't, you don't get more punk than that. And then like a bell-bottom jumpsuit thing that that uh, that Divine is wearing as well. It's just just like and genius. He talked... Uh, John, one of the, like the costume designer and the, the set designer were talking about how they turned... They turned trash into art. They turned things... Yeah. They basically just found everything. And the way that everything is composed... And especially, like... I think it was just upon this last viewing where I realized how dope and on point every person's costume in this movie is. Yes. Everyone has their... you. Like, yes. Every, even yeah. sides... Mrs. Mrs. Dasher, the, the outfits that... <laughs> that Mrs. Dasher wears, I mean, are so, it's so, I want to say bougie, but it's, it's not even bougie. It's really like aristocratic almost, you know, what she's, what she's wearing. Trashy aristocratic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it even trashy? I guess it is kind of trashy. It's not like real designer. No, it's just like what you think a designer, it's almost like you it's like a, a discount. It's thrift, it's <laughs> like, a thrift shop bourgeois <laughs> kind of <laughs> stuff. But everyone, like even the minor characters, all have their these unique aesthetics, these yes. unique costumes, yes. these little mannerisms, the way that they act. Yeah. Yeah. Every everyone, yeah. Even even Gator has the coolest little suits that he wears. So uh, let's. Uh, we talked a little bit about Gator mm. before before we started recording. I'm just going to um, I'm going to reset replay here what I told Andrew previously is that my only criticism of this movie, and it's no longer a criticism because it actually 
is actually what happened, is I said that I, I, my only criticism of the movie was Michael Potter's performance as Gator. I, I, everyone else was familiar with John Waters. They were part of his troop, his Dreamland troop. He had all worked with them before. And his performance seemed odd to me. And I, and my initial thought was, it kind of seems like they pulled this guy off the street and threw him in this movie. And like he had no acting experience and he didn't seem to really kind of gel with everyone else. That turns out to be the case. The, the role was initially written for somebody else um, who is a, ends up in the movie as a minor character, as one of the other hairdressers, but he declined the role because of the nudity involved. So they kind of found, they found this guy on the street and said, hey, you want to be in a movie? And like 24 hours later, he was filming his first scene. <laughs> so I got to, I got to, uh, rescind my criticism because I, you know, it's not a criticism. It's a fact that this was just a guy in the street. And now, and, and now knowing that and watch rewatching the movie today with the commentary to prepare for this episode, I was like, you know what? His performance works. It does. It works. I, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I mean, someone's got to be like, you know, the, uh, the straight man. Well, it's very interesting that you say that because John Waters says that he has no, uh, how do I put this? He had no problem getting the uh, very eccentric people involved in his movies. He says, my problem is to find the straight people that will be in this movie. Yeah. Like he said, all the jurors in the courtroom scene are all family members of cast members. He said, we couldn't get anybody else to do it. (laughs) So we just basically brought in... Family members. I love it. I love it. He said, "I." He says, "I can't no pr- like you would think most directors. I'm gonna have to find a uh, a drag queen to, that will jump into the river and swim across the turret and one t- in one take or do this trampoline. Like that would be, I would think would be the hard part finding someone like that. No, for John Waters, it's finding. I guess." "Quote unquote norm, normal mm-hmm. people or mm-hmm. regular Joes, mm-hmm. normies. And, 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 well, normal. According to this movie, normal people and heterosexuals are boring, which I love. I love that. That's <laughs> yeah, that's I the mean, precedent that is set down. That I want to say when Edith Massey is talking to Gator, Edith Massey plays Gator's mother, aunt, aunt." Thank you. Aunt Ida. And, Aunt Ida. Aunt, Aunt Ida, that's right, that's right. And is saying, like, um, you know, I wish you would be queer. I, you know, I wish you would hook up with another hairdresser. And then she says, um, what does she say? The world of heterosexuality is a terrible and boring life, something to that yeah, effect. I'm afraid you're going to have kids and yeah, a family right, right. and an office job. I right. love... So it's a total... It's a total flipping of, you know, what straight people say to, about gay people. And then John Waters is talking on the commentary. He goes, it's the anti-coming out scene in a movie. Yeah. It's the reverse coming out scene. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, so I heard, I remember, just like you had heard that audio about uh, about reefers in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls before you saw Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, I remember hearing that monologue that she gives Gator uh, 
in audio form before seeing Female Trouble and not knowing it was from Free Female Trouble. So that has been used, that has been sampled. I mean, that's a pretty famous moment in, in movie making. And, and that's in 1974. So, 1974. I could go back to 1974 and stay there forever. Yeah. And, ju- and Female Trouble would be playing at, like, the art house down the street. And I could just live like that for the rest of my life. So, this movie actually has some of the best reviews of any John Waters movie. When it initially came out? Well... Or since? When it initially came out, I I think the most high-profile, big review, good review that it got was from Variety. Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? And since you know, then, I mean, John Waters talks about the New York Times still to this day hasn't reviewed uh, Pink Flamingos. Uh, I remember him saying that. So I guess by the time Female Trouble came out, mainstream publications were reviewing the, his films. And so that includes Female Trouble. So they actually gave Female Trouble a favor. Really? Yes. Variety Magazine. Variety Magazine gave him a very favorable review. But he said that his favorite review of this movie came from Rex Reed, and I'm going to read it here. Quote, Where did these people come from? Where did they go when the sun goes down? Isn't there a law or something? Unquote. He is the snarkiest. Isn't he? He really, really is. And I told you he's in Myra Breckenridge. He's the protagonist that gets a sex change and becomes Raquel Welsh. You shall see eventually. I am yes. I'm looking Rex forward to Rex Reed. That. Rex Reed, the movie critic. So 1970, not only was Rex Reed the film critic in Myra Breckenridge, but that's when Roger Ebert penned Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So we have two like big time movie critics with very you know with ostensibly dubious you know uh, credits. Yeah, to their screen name. credits from from the same year. It's funny because John Waters. There's a um, a clip of him talking about <laughs> Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and he says that it's the best thing that J- Roger Ebert ever wrote, kind of as a knock, <laughs> as a knock to him. Cause uh, it could be true. Ebert, uh, you know, has, has hasn't not been liked John Waters' movies. <laughs> so he's he gave that as a, a knock. And I, I, you know what? He's the bigger man here, and he's, he he loves Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, as as do both of us. Yeah. And I just love that little knock at Ebert, the best yeah. thing that he ever wrote. What is it? And, and this is, you know, Roger Ebert's a Pulitzer Prize-winning film critic. You know, he didn't How do you win- become a Pulitzer Prize-winning film critic? How do you do that? How do you get the Pulitzer Prize for being a film critic? I I don't know. I my isn't my, that so? Am I mixing it up with the Nobel Peace Prize yes. or something? Well, what's the Pulitzer Prize? Pulitzer's for writing in general. I didn't know that. And that, that includes was, film criticism. I thought it was for fiction and well, I guess it would be for fiction and nonfiction. But I I, I don't know. At some point, they must have said something about film criticism or. We're getting off topic here because no. I don't know enough about this to talk about it. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just um so uh, uh, something else here that is worth noting uh John Waters has two regrets about this movie the first of which is the fact that it's dedicated to the Manson family member Tex Watson 
who the f- <laughs> he had Who is Tex Watson? What was he related to Charlie? No, he was he was the guy that actually committed the murders. Of oh, the... he was like the dude. The he was dirty the work dude. Yes, okay. he was the one. Okay, and he said in hindsight, you know, that he wouldn't have he wouldn't do something like that now. Um, he did it for shock value. He wouldn't do it for comedic purposes like he did. like he had done for this movie. Um, But he said he wouldn't do it because it it would have... In context, it hurt Mr. Watson more so than it it hurt female trouble for being dedicated to a member of the Manson family. Um, And John Waters talks about how his view on the whole Manson family thing has changed over time. And he wouldn't glamorize or glorify someone involved in these horrible crimes. Well, that's what female trouble is all about. Right. It is. It's very... More so than Multiple Maniacs, which is kind of, like, directly about the Manson family. This is kind of like the glorification of of, of sensationalizing and kind of putting up on a pedestal people that have done awful, terrible things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people say that the court scene... I mean, she kills her daughter Yes, right before going out on stage. She has a good reason, though, because her because daughter became a Hare Krishna. Well, they, yeah, that's a really good reason. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so so John Waters, he, he knows, he takes, he's like... He, I liked the Harry Christians. They fed me when I was poor in the New York City, in the East Village. They had good food. <laughs> they did. But, so, his second regret, which is, uh, he goes, because there's a scene in the movie with Edie Massey, um, who's, in the, her, Edith. Edith Massey, yeah. excuse me, her big scene in Pink Flamingos is with the Eggman. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in uh, Female Trouble, where she's locked up in this big birdcage, and she talks about it being so hungry, and Mink Stoll offers, offers, offers her some eggs to eat. And she goes, no, I don't want any eggs. Right, right. And he said, he goes, uh-huh. he, he kind of cringes at that in the commentary. He goes, oh, that's such a cheap line. He's, <laughs> like, he's like, that was, it's, that was, that's too easy of a joke. It is. And yet. So those are his only two regrets. And okay. I just, they're regrets for two very different reasons. Um, but the court scene, a lot of people said that it was based kind of on the Manson family trial. It wasn't. It was actually, I don't have the woman's name, and I'm not going to mention it here because um, it's still, the case was never kind of closed um, for sure. But there was a woman who was allegedly accused of killing her children so she could go out more at night. <laughs> and her responses in court Every t- where when someone would say something about her, she'd go, "No, you're a liar." She would have these outbursts in court, just like the way that Don Davenport has these outbursts. Oh in yeah, court. okay. So it's not the Manson family; it's actually this other this other trial. But like I said, we're not going to mention the name because this the case was never actually like closed or settled on exactly what happened. So. Moving on from that, 
he said something that I just think is so interesting because, like I said, female trouble to me is n- maybe not the bridge from old old school John Waters to mainstream John Waters. Maybe it's like it's right there, right before the bridge. But he basically said, and this was the first John Waters movie that I saw, Serial Mom is essentially a Hollywood version of Female Trouble. Those are his words, not mine. He says that? Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not the same. I, there, there's, it's not. No. I it, mean, she's a mom. She doesn't really... You know, oh, well, there is a court... Right, there the, is a courtroom. There is a courtroom scene. And she does become notorious for, you know, for... But she doesn't... I mean, she doesn't go completely bonkers the way Don Davenport does. No, she does. She she actually she she actually she actually wins the day no matter what in that movie, which is right. kind of, which is the beauty of that of that movie and of of that character. Right. Uh and her performance. Her performance is is terrific in that. But I I don't I don't see it the same way. Maybe the maybe this construct is similar. Um uh, but I don't I don't see the, it the same way. Yeah, and I can see why there's kind of like it's it's kind of like the okay, maybe it has its roots in kind of what female trouble is, but it it goes off on this whole thing. But as far as the media glamorizing criminals, you know, there's that aspect to it. I, I but it's much more blown out of proportion in Serial Mom than it is in Female Trouble. I mean, you're too young to remember Tanya Harding, but I remember how Tanya Harding became a star after she got, uh, after she hired like some thugs to like what bludgeon her Nancy Kerrigan, yeah, her knees or something. I was just like, and like she had a layout. Then she had a layout in the magazine. I was just like, okay, she's a she's a celebrity now, right? Yeah, yeah. So a couple other random things that I I came across. In the in the commentary for female trouble, and I, I want your uh, your 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 reactions to. There's the scene where um, the grown up Taffy is playing car accident, and that was actually a game that John Waters used to play as a child. He used to <laughs> crash his cars and dump ketchup on it, and it's a very very funny scene in the movie. We have we have a woman playing a twelve year old. That's somehow gotten like a car windshield, and there's a dummy that's gone through it, and it's so. And before that, she's like demanded ten dollars. I think ten dollars, ten dollars. Give me ten dollars. So I guess she went out and spent that ten dollars on finding these pieces of a car. Yes. I mean, during those deleted scenes, we have a scene of her in a junkyard, um, feeling very alone and trembling. I don't know if that was supposed to be intertwined with that scene at all in any way whatsoever. But anyway, yeah, she gets she gets like a windshield. Right, she gets like a windshield and a car door. Yep, and she's got her stuffed, not a stuffed animal, but like a like a stuffed. It's like a doll. Man. Yeah, it's like that. She's covering in ketchup, and that's her friend. Who's, she's covering herself in ketchup. Yeah, too. yeah. And I love her. And mom. She's screaming. She's like, "Look, my friend's dead!" Yes. <laughs> so that's bit you know, the John. Bo- John Waters said that's the kind of games that he would play as a kid. He also said that he spent a month and a half, well, uh, no, a year and a half, where he would pretend to be Captain Hook by sticking a clothes hanger 
through like his shirt and pretending that he had a hook hand. Like uh-huh. his his childhood hero was Captain Hook, which inspired this scene in Female Trouble where Edith Matthews <laughs> After her hand's been chopped off. She gets a it's hook. Mink, it's Mink it's Taffy that gives her the hook, right? Yes. And it pisses off Don Davenport. Why'd you give her a hook? Right. Just everything about this movie. The, you could just pick just a random scene, and there's so many things just to un- un- unpack from it that you can watch and rewatch. I think that this is easily the most rewatchable John Waters movie. Some like I don't think I'd want to rewatch Pink Flamingos immediately after watching Pink Flamingos. I'm not a huge fan of Pink Flamingos. I've seen it once. It's pretty much just a celebration of filth and 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 corruption, right? It, filth it, and violence. I mean, it's that's it's pretty it's much just kind of a celebration of all of that. It's kind of like gross out for the sake of being gross out. Yeah, I mean, there is a revenge fantasy being played out, sure. isn't there? Yes, there yeah. is. It's we we have. Two, it's been a long time. We have two family. The, uh, Pink flamingos is basically two families fighting over the title of who's the nastiest, filthiest, grossest family in the town. <laughs> all right, and that's that's pretty much yeah. it. It's kind yeah. of like. It's not that it's a one joke movie, but it hinges everything seems to hinge on that the final scene, the scene that everyone remembers. Well the tar and feather scene or the dog poop scene? Well, the dog poop scene, the tar and feather scene, the implication of having sex with a chicken scene. There's a Oh right. right there's a right, lot right, of right, gross right. stuff just for the sake of being gross. And I think a lot of people, why this didn't find its audience right away, my theory is because a lot of people were probably expecting Pink Flamingos Part 2. You get, it's, there's no gross just for the sake of being gross in this movie. Yes, there is. The skid mark scene? Well, the that sex scene? and the like, that diseased penis. Oh, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know where they found that penis. I, that that wasn't Divine's penis. I the, certainly hope not. No, it wasn't. It, <laughs> I don't know what. The, the, find that. What do you? How, what do you do? We're looking for a diseased penis. Who's got a diseased penis? Well, <laughs> if I had a written, visibly diseased penis, do you have one? What about you? We need you. That's a good, that's really a disease. That's a really diseased penis. Yeah, can we use your penis for this shot, please? So there's less gross for the sake of being gross scenes. And in the commentary, he do, I didn't write it down because I didn't want to mention it, but he does mention exactly whose penis we see. Uh, was it, so it's somebody Who's? associated with I don't remember. We can... We, no, I'll no, find no, out no. for it's you. Right. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I'll take a I'll take well, a mean, freeze frame you know, of, the, of the penis. No, with the actor's I name. I mean, I could barely even look at it when it was when it was on screen. But I mean, you know, I saw enough of it where it was just like, how did they? Is it that a really diseased penis, or is it just like makeup on a penis to make it look diseased? And well, I'm not I think sure. It's former, but the I can tell you that all the pubic hair that we see in that. And the wedding scene through the wedding gown is not real pubic hair. Okay, that so is they... a that's a merkin.
I can. Con- <laughs> I love that word. Uh, <laughs> do you know? Have you ever heard of the movie Can Hieronymus Merkin Ever Forget Mercy Hump and tr- Find True Happiness? <laughs> That's another one from 1969. <laughs> Sounds like a bizarre Dr. Seuss novel. <laughs> it's a, that's a trip and a half, that movie right there. Uh, but okay, so that's a Merkin. Yes. That Divine is wearing under... It looks it looks fake. I mean, that's some serious bush, basically, yeah. that Don Davenport is sporting underneath uh, her wedding dress. Well, she had to wear a lot of bodysuits because, as John Waters mentions... He goes, Divine didn't have breasts. Right, right. We just, we had kind of a large, rotund, rotund man. And you see nipples on those breasts. And there's a scene when, um, when Don calls him to tell him that she's pregnant, you could see chest hair, like, in the, uh, the scene. In, when it, when it's Don? No, 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 when it's... When it's him, when it's Earl. When it's Earl. Yeah. So... Okay. There's just so much bizarre stuff to talk about this movie. I could talk about it for for hours, probably. More so than I could... I'm just, I'm just running out of ways to kiss this movie's ass because I just love it so much. And especially just the... Just the colors. It's such a beautiful... It is beautiful. It's beautiful to look at. It is. It's beautiful to look at. And once again, like... I mean, he John Waters mentions... Douglas Sirkin and Fass Fassbinder. I don't really know Fassbinder very well. I know Veronica Voss. That's the only. I think that's the only Fassbinder I've seen. But the definitely. I mean, the way. I think it's. I think the. I think the producer's name is Hunter, uh, for Imitation of Life, who is responsible for the art direction for a lot of Douglas Sirk movies. But that whole Technicolor scheme color scheme is very much apparent in Female Trouble, even though it's not, It's I'm sure it's not Technicolor that's being used. It wasn't. Uh, but no. it still looks like it. It's that kind of vibrancy that's going on with, with the palette. And uh, this is just a technical thing that I wanted to, to bring up, and it, it has to do with Female Trouble and it doesn't. The way that, that this movie was restored for the, for the version that we watched, mm-hmm. it looks amazing mm-hmm. but it also looks like it was shot on film mm-hmm. and unfortunately a lot of times and i had the credit criterion um please sponsor us we love you we love your movies we've we've watched a lot of them or we're watching a lot more um they do such a great job of restoring these movies mm-hmm. but they still look like they're shot on film and what's one, wrong with that no, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. Yeah. What I don't like is that I have seen a restoration. I It was one of the Indiana Jones movies, and it loses this texture that film has. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it looks, it looks too clean. It's too digital. Yeah. It's too safe. Yeah. And I like the danger of celluloid because you, you get some of the some of the grit, but the way that they, they being Criterion, restore movies, they do it with such care and they go over each frame so that it maintains its texture and its tone as a piece of film. And when I say film, I mean an actual physical piece of film that you can hold in your hands mm-hmm. and not a digital shot mm-hmm. from a red cam that mm-hmm. costs 
a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I just want to, I just want to say that it's a technical thing. Some of you might find this boring right now, but I just love the attention to detail that they give movies like this mm-hmm. because I had seen Female Trouble quite a few times before I got this particular copy, but it wasn't until this copy that I just you notice how beautiful these costumes and these sets are. Mm -hmm. Like, you're able to see these details without losing the integrity of being shot on film. And I I can't say uh, enough. I like the flatness of of things that are shot on film. For a long time, I had a really hard time with flat-screen TVs because everything started to look like it was on video. I don't... And I couldn't... Could, I couldn't get past it. Even films, even stuff that was shot on film looked like it was on video when I would watch it. And I haven't really experienced that so much lately, but um, for some reason, maybe it's just because I don't watch TV that much anymore. But um, the, the flatness that comes with you know a film stock is something that I prefer, definitely. So, yeah... This this movie, it just it looks better than Pink Flamingos. It's shot better than Pink Flamingos. It has the music of John Waters being started to be introduced. This movie has it all. And I just I, I think that it works because it has its darkly gross out comedic moments, but it's also just a very it's a, it's a melodrama. It is a melodrama. It's a melodrama. And I I just love... Yeah, it's we done see, under a very quirky... Once again, that word, quirky, but very funny and quirky guys. But it is a melodrama. We see the trials and tribulations of this woman. Yeah. The ups, the downs, everything in between. Yeah. From the cha-cha from, heels. Yeah, right. <laughs> from, like, from like delinquent to runaway... To single house, mother, single mother, uh, right? Not even a housewife, a single mother. Um, to frustrated wife, frustrated. Uh, well, she's uh, she never really. Oh, she does marry. Yeah, she does marry. That's right. Frustrated wife. To... That's right. Frustrated wife. To model. To career criminal. To career criminal. I mean, to she's de- basically a career... to death row inmate. Yeah, I mean, it's it. Yeah, I mean, what more could you want from a role? No. Really? And Divine is divine in it. He is. Like, really, really, really. I mean, that's, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going out on a limb, but it's like, it's almost Oscar worthy. I mean, I just remember by the end, once again, once, once Divine has turned into basically a monster, um, it's just, it's so jarring. And and fascinating to watch, really, really fascinating. And you've seen everything that up until that point. I mean, you've seen Dan, Don Davenport have moments of trying to be like a real norm, you know, normal, quote unquote, compassionate person, and then just you know, there's just no chance in hell. Eventually, like no. it's like she's just it's it's her destiny to become. You you do feel like it's her destiny to become what she becomes. Yes, and and it's not you know it's not something that that is uh, for her better necessarily, but it's riveting to watch. Yes, and I I would I'm gonna 
go out on a limb in here and say something. I think that if you did not tell someone that Divine played both Earl and Don Davenport, do you think that they would make the correlation that that is the same person? Well, I don't know. I can't really answer that. I mean, I, I've I've understood that that's the same person for so long. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just thinking that if I showed someone in a vacuum and didn't say, I, I, I would venture a guess that I would say 9 out of 10 people wouldn't think that it was the same person, I mean, es- especially since there's a scene where they're having sex with each other. Yeah, I mean, there it's two. Yeah, it's two radically different characters. But I just want to support your your what your sentiments about her performance, his performance is in this movie, is nothing short of brilliant mm-hmm. to play a drunk, butch guy <laughs> to being a flamboyant. It's I, just. I like, mean, it's also interesting to note that by the end of his career, right before he died. He had moved in with his parents again. He was living with his parents, and he had a get, he had a reoccurring role on Married with Children. Uh, and I think he died in his sleep, and he died in bed, and he had next to him uh, a script for Married with Children. And he wasn't he wasn't doing he wasn't doing the role on Married with Children as Divine. He was doing it as as himself, basically. He always saw himself so, as an actor. Yes, I mean so that I mean I can't imagine every. Every actor, as an actor, I know, like, that is kind of your dream, is just to be able to pay the rent and get paid for just being an actor, just for being an actor, not for being, you know, um, uh, an over-the-top character like Divine is, you know, Um, and and that's what he got. He got what... He got that. He did. He, he was a working. He was a working actor by the end of his. Yes, he was. He was doing not only movies and TV. He was also doing theater. Good for him. And he deserved it. Yeah. Oh, theater. God, he I miss he was just. He's just divine. Like John, I don't know how he came up with the word divine. I guess it came from some like the Catholic saying that this is divine and that is divine. Mm-hmm. But he just he mm-hmm. bestowed this name upon him, and it it just accompanied. And that's why the the documentary, which I, I I recommend people see if you haven't, I am divine, which is just the life of this man. Mm-hmm. It that's be, that's what he became. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think with married with children, I I don't think he was using that name. He was using his real name, and I don't even know what it is. Uh, but I think that's the name he was going under. The original title for this movie, the script written was called Rotten Mind, Rotten Face. <laughs> and the reason that wow. it was changed was that he, John Waters was like, you know what, I'm giving critics that are going to rip this movie apart to, like, yeah, too fodder easy. For their foil. Yeah, I'm, give, I'm giving them low-hanging fruit yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. They're just going to see... Rotten movie, rotten exactly. performance. That's rotten... All, yeah, he he already <laughs> foresaw what their reviews would be. Yeah, be like rotten mind, rotten face, rotten movie yeah. for rotten people or yeah. something like that. Yeah, but he said that female trouble came from a phrase that his um that he said a friend of his said that she you know she had been brought to the hospital and when she got out of the hospital he asked her you know why she had to go into the hospital and her response to him was female trouble. And apparently, what this does was that mean. Okay, was it like female 
physical health problems. Yes. It's kind of the nice way of... I remember in school when it was that time of the month for certain girls. Right. Um, that's female trouble right yes, there. Yes. That's basically... He said it's a kind of a polite way of saying period. You know? Which I just think is genius that he just... You know, he, he was just like, yep, female trouble. But if you listen to the lyrics of the song... It pretty much, it's just like, it. it's just the story of the movie. I got lots of problems, <laughs> female trouble. I think that's how it goes. Yeah, and then the, the rest of the lyrics throughout the song, like, I I'm got not lots gonna... of problems too. That's male trouble, I guess. But it, it's it not break... as, it doesn't have the same ring. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but it, basically, it, it narrates the whole story until the electric chair. We should really? probably talk about... We'll wrap up this episode by talking about the ending of this movie where she says she reached... And I think this is very interesting because I didn't see this until I, I realized where it was coming from. She goes, the highest achievement for someone in my field is the death sentence. Wait, what? Yes. <laughs> Wait, say that again. What? The highest achievement that someone in my field can reach is the death penalty. Who says that? Don Davenport in the movie? Yes. And she does say that, doesn't she? Yes, she does. Well, and because given the context of the film, he, I guess it's true. It's kind of like the Academy Award for, for, for acting. It's yeah. the highest thing that you can achieve. So if you make your career as a criminal and you glamorize being a criminal... What is the, you know, what's the highest achievement that a criminal could reach? Is the electric chair. Which they don't use in Baltimore. It would have been the oh, gas right. chamber. Right, right, right. They actually found an electric chair and hauled it into a Pri jail. They did. They filmed it in a prison. Why and they, they find that electric chair? I don't know, but John Waters still has it in his house <laughs> to this day. <laughs> but they found an electric chair and the pork... The, so they had to bring it... So they shot the finale of this movie in a prison. And the, the scenes in the cells don't, you know, weren't shot in parts of the prison where there actually were prisoners. But when they were bringing in the electric chair, prisoners were seeing just like these two two or three crew members bringing in an electric chair. A lot of them were going, they bring back the electric chair. Because yeah. in Baltimore... It's, I don't think, actually, at the time of the movie, not only did they not have the death penalty, but when they did, it was the gas chamber. So this probably scared a bunch of people to see, yeah. <laughs> to see this electric chair dragged in. Yeah. They should have used a guillotine. <laughs> <laughs> brought in a guillotine for or the scene. Or, um... <laughs> The scaffolding where they hang you, they just like, yeah, like they kick out, they, they you know like for a noose, yeah, you'd be standing there and like they kick out on the a, box, on a chair, yeah, they yeah, kick out the, the box. box underneath you and you you hang, so You're swinging, <laughs> leave them swinging. swinging, so yeah, that that scared a lot of prisoners, but they you know okay, but for the movie like she gives these great speeches and her final words are she's thanking everyone and i think her final words are i love every fucking one of you and then then yeah and then that face and then that face and then that free, free shot and then the credits and we get the glorious female trouble song it's genius 
And it's genius. I, I, I think actually, and I think I think in Dancer in the Dark they hang her, if I'm correct, at the end. So it's kind of similar to that. Well, to she's, Bjork being hung at the end of Dancer in the Dark. I don't know. Have you seen the movie I Want to Live? With Susan Hayward, uh, no, but I am familiar with and it. And she gets the death penalty at the end. Yeah, I mean, and that is what it's based on. Yes. Yeah. I know, I yeah. know that much, yeah. So we have a woman that's achieved exactly what she wanted in life. She's famous, and she's telling everyone to write a book about her and to keep talking about her until they die. Until they die. Talk about her until they die. Yeah. It's just, there's so much... Yeah. It's just brilliant, and that's why I think it is the absolute perfect John Waters movie. Okay. Um, would you say the perfect John Waters movie? Yeah. yeah. Best, best John Waters movie? I mean, it's my favorite John Waters okay. movie. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely yeah. my favorite. Yeah, I mean, on a technical aspect, I could see people making arguments for other movies again this is just our opinion mm-hmm. um but to support our opinion john waters um says that this is the best of his early career he's never like put a, a stake in what he claims is his favorite movie of his he has said that this is his favorite of the movies that he's done with divine and that divine gave the best performance in any of his movies that this is this is the movie Divine himself has said that this is his favorite of yeah. the John Waters movies that yeah. he's done. Yeah. And there's... I'm glad to hear that, because as I said, for a long time, Female Trouble was my favorite, and I defended it. I was just like, this is my personal favorite John Waters movie. Right. And yeah. I, I think... And the next one was Polyester, wasn't it? With a bona fide movie star in Tab Hunter. Yes. So that did change the playing field. It did. Right there. But and it, it has a budget. Polyester does. does have a budget. Female Trouble, it's like you're you see that they're working with, you know, um with shoestring budget. So I it, beautifully. But, they're doing it beautifully, but yeah. But while something like Pink Flamingos hinges on a couple notorious scenes, polyester kind of um its big hook was the Sniffo-Rama cards. Yeah. Um yeah. there's nothing there's nothing that um that singles out female trouble. It needs. To, it's just. It's just the experience of female trouble yeah. from the opening shot, with these beautiful stills, that and that leads into this hilarious high school scene, to cha cha heels, to a girl throwing a fit on Christmas, to getting impregnated while hitchhiking, to becoming a, the worst nightclub act ever. The best nightclub act ever. <laughs> well, I, I think the audience member that got shot would not consider it the best. He, he seemed to want it. Well, you know what? <laughs> Kill Speak- me. Kill me for fame. No, he's, she asks him. He doesn't wants- say that. He doesn't say that. Well, she I mean, asked. I'm, I'm yeah, she asked the audience who wants to die for art. I do. <laughs> yeah. Boom. You're dead. And it's just. And it becomes a shootout. So. Yeah, this will be the first of many John Waters episodes on this this podcast because he's kind of the uh he's just a you know, he some of his more mainstream movies but he was cult before there was cult movies. He was making movies for 
a very select group of people that would that wanted something new from cinema that they weren't getting from the major Hollywood studios. Mm-hmm. And he provided that. Mm-hmm. And we, regardless of whether or not you like his movies, you have to respect that mm-hmm. to, to offering an alternative mm-hmm. to the mainstream. I mean, yeah, I mean, Andy Warhol was doing it. Uh, it's almost an adjunct to what Andy Warhol was doing, but John Waters had his own definitely his own way of doing it that was more interesting i mean there was something more deconstructive about what andy warhol and paul uh not so much paul morrissey but andy warhol was doing um and john waters isn't isn't really deconstructive he's got his own vision vision going on i mean you could say he's i don't want to get into pedantics okay but i mean but i mean the the thing i mean andy warhol was doing things where it was like What's that movie where he films someone sleeping for eight hours? It's just called Sleep. Sleep, yeah. It's like an eight-hour movie. So, I mean, that's deconstructionist right there. Um, what John Waters was doing was actual, like, full-fledged visionary work. Yeah. I, it actually... So, from the clips that I've seen from his very early movies, like Mondo Trasho, Eat Your Makeup, I think that's more so de- deconstructionist. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, breaking it down basically kind of just I I had this weird thought I want Divine to get raped by a giant lobster let's go make it wow kind of a dogma 75 kind of vibe too just like whatever we have around let's just go make a movie yeah Um, I love it and then he's kind of um, you know Pink Flamingos was very less structured uh where I think that female trouble is perfectly structured. Mm-hmm. There's a clear beginning, middle, and end. We have a character arc. Mm-hmm. We have everything in a classic kind of movie storytelling narrative. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that John Waters is going to drag it through the mud, mm-hmm. and he he wants to do that. And mm-hmm. I and I love him for doing stuff like that, for giving us. He says that he wants to give us something new, something we've never seen before, and he's nine times out of ten he's provided that. Mm-hmm. I have an issue. I have issues with a couple of his movies, not Female Trouble. I think this is the absolute perfect John Waters movie. Do you, do you think this is a perfect movie, Chris? <laughs> I'm just saying that because you've used that word like have I ten times. <laughs> uh, I said it's the perfect John Waters movie. I didn't say it's the perfect movie. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> that means that we've talked too long. Okay. Because we're approaching longer than the length of the movie, which we, we, we try not to wow. do. Wow, I just uh, cracks me up that we do that. Okay. So, final thoughts for Female Trouble. Uh, we pretty much covered it. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Art is... No, crime is beauty. Beauty is crime. And as one of the... um. Actor says in the movie, I get a boner around... I get a boner for beauty. Who says that? I don't know. It's in the hospital scene. Okay. One of the guys says it, and then uh, Mrs. Dasher says, point that thing somewhere else. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, where to end up on... Uh, 
I wish we could freeze frame our faces and just play Female Trouble. Like, I just want to listen to Female <laughs> Trouble now. It's a great song. It's I a great song. I got lots of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Female Trouble. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us again on the Cold Film Companion Podcast. We'll be back with another episode very, very soon. Um, thank you for listening, whoever you are, in whatever country you're in. Apparently, we have international listeners, which is fantastic. Uh, you could follow us on Facebook at the Cult Film Companion Facebook group. We are on Instagram, Cult Film Companion Podcast. We are on Twitter, at Cult Film Comp. You can email us at the Cult Film Companion at gmail.com. We are joining the Blind Knowledge family, which will be launching a website in the end of January. When we're very excited about that to be on a new platform and hopefully get some new listeners. Please um, interact with us on social media and tell us what your favorite John Waters movie is. What are your thoughts on Female Trouble? And which John Waters movie would you like to hear us cover in the future? Thanks again for listening. Good night.